0: Um, we have Sarah Yanovich with us, and we have today Andy Caballaria from Ascentech. Uh, really excited about this talk. We've been working with Andy for, for years now in his company, and um very happy to have you on, Andy. The um yeah, tell us tell us about tell us about your background. Uh tell us about acoustics. Why does that matter? Uh, how does that you do, um uh, and tell us a bit about your background and what you did before uh, coming, to, coming to acoustics or coming, what you did before coming to cannabis.
1: Brian, thanks. Um, a, again, my name is Andy, and it's just been so fun to work with you on these cannabis projects. One of the things that um, that I was really kind of into from the get-go is sound in all of its different forms. You know, kind of music was my initial draw, but I've always loved to go sit by streams and have kind of the sensory experience of sound and to kind of enjoy natural sound and things like that. And so sound was kind of like a central, you know, feature of my education, but I was also interested in electricity and mechanical engineering and 3D drafting and things like that, and just got like a really good um, rural elementary school education uh, and high school education. And so kind of said, like, how do I put these things together, this idea of mechanical engineering and, and music? And luckily, I, I took a class when I was a, at school in Boston called acoustics. And I had no idea what that was, basically, but it was a requirement for my engineering major. And what I found was that that was like a really cool combination of all of those things together. You know, it involved critical listening. It involved um, listening to people like your client, for example, and understanding what their needs are. Um, It involved like aesthetics to a certain degree, kind of seeing what you're doing as part of a, a larger team. And so music and sound have just been like a central organizing principle for for what I do kind of professionally and then, and then personally, I have this, uh, this terrible affliction of being a jazz organ player. So I have, you know, a, like 25 years experience of driving a, a big van around the country, playing a 700 pound Hammond organ. And again, that's a very like old instrument with no transistors or ICs and it's all tubes and it's all manual. And it's, it's just, again, a sensory experience of sitting next to this speaker and making music with the band for people in a particular place. Wow. So I, I come at this from a couple of different angles and I know how important sound is to people. You know, so well, like, yeah, what were you going to say?
0: Then let me ask a really leading question because I know the answer to this question, but I think for our audience who's tuning into a podcast, maybe <clears throat> interested in cannabis, why would a sound engineer, why would a ham and organ player really be interested or involved in the cannabis industry? And... Um, I mean, I know the answer to this, but I want to I want to pull it out of you uh, because it's incredibly important to this subject at hand. Is why how is cannabis or why is cannabis's good neighbor sound is massively important and something overlooked uh, by every customer until it comes to the planning board.
1: Well, I'll put this in a in a kind of uh, rural context. I don't want to hear your darn air conditioner. You know, I, I really really cherish um, my community. I, I cherish the natural environment around me. I cherish the ability to have an easy conversation with my daughter outside, for her to build, a, um, to, to build her, uh, her cognitive systems by experiencing the environment and having that experience not be polluted by unnatural sound. So um, noise control engineering was one of the, the places that I could actually make a difference in that regard. And for us, that really begins with, um, in Massachusetts in specific, how do we protect the public from noise? And I, I got to say, I think we're one of the best states in terms of taking a like a reasonable science-based approach to doing that. And in Mass, you know, fundamentally, what we do is we say, "What's here now? You know, what, what are the existing conditions like?" And then we ask the someone who's going to build something, "How are you going to change that?" And if you propose to change that by more than a certain amount, that really is a violation of the law. Then you've really kind of created this this condition of air pollution that I was ranting and raving about and giving you reasons for not creating a moment ago um so we have a really good regulatory framework in massachusetts and and brian that's kind of you know some of the work that you and i have done together involves what exists today and then how are we going to make this intervention into the site into the community that's going to change it and then how are sensitive people like me going to respond to that
0: so let's talk about that for a second so if the so that the the we know that the towns and the municipalities right the towns in Massachusetts have zoning bylaws they've adopted or not right so towns need to if they haven't already adopted certain zoning bylaws and they're not consistent throughout the commonwealth of Massachusetts and they're not consistent throughout throughout states across the country Right. And as states come online, as the cannabis laws uh, uh, come online, and as applications for new ventures uh, and applications come to municipalities to build new facilities, they are going to um, butt up against and meet these town planning officials and have to answer for and have to talk about what's what are they doing? How are they altering the sound profile of that community? Um, and to how can they do that to the benefit of the community, or to the detriment? And I think that's a responsibility. It's not an undue responsibility for a cannabis operation, right? Right. We're not. We're not the. We're not brewing. We're not you know moonshiners, right? Brewing in the in the backwoods, and you know this is this is now a fully legitimate industry. It happens in industrial parks. It happens in uh, in commercial districts, right?
1: This, this is pharmaceutical grade horticulture, and it needs all of the kind of environmental and mechanical conditions that would support that, that kind of design goal. And, and Brian, I know that you know the name of your podcast is, Why is Cannabis a Good Neighbor? It's not, how can cannabis just barely squeak by the existing regulations and cram our projects into these communities? And I think that's a, a really, really central focus of our work together is not just like what is the law? But how are we going to be a good neighbor? And and one of the useful things about the framework in mass is that it would translate well to other states and to other countries, potentially. It's similar to the framework that Canada has now, for example, on kind of a a federal kind of national scale. Um, And so one of the things that we do when we work in other states, you know, some states, Colorado is a good example, um, don't have a lot of um, centralized or statewide noise regulation. So it's kind of to your point, it falls to this patchwork of regulations from town to town and county to county. One of the things that we do often is, even though it's not like a law or a regulation, we'll take the framework from Massachusetts and use it in other states just to say, are we being a good neighbor? Because the neat thing about the mass law is that if we comply with the law, we'll also generally be a pretty good neighbor. And so that's our focus, right? Our central focus and our like fundamental job as professional engineers is to protect the public health. Before we do anything else, you know, right. Brian, you have a licensure, archi- uh, uh, architecture licensure. Right. Um, I have a credential that really demands that we protect the public. So before we do anything, before we serve our shareholders or our client or anything, that's kind of our, our duty. And I, I guess taking that like really stringent and like, I don't know, it, it seems like an important role I feel comfortable using the mass DEP policy to say, am I being a good neighbor? Right.
0: So break it down for us. Tell us a little bit about, give us some of the uh, the nuts and bolts. So we're, we're, you know, describing how we're a good neighbor and that sound is important and we don't want to disrupt, uh, right, that, that we can enter, we as a cannabis industry can enter your community and that community should feel safe and un-un-un-un-un disturbed right that this is not a this is not a huge disturbance it's going to bring good things and opportunities to your community how do we do that technically what are these you know how do you measure sound what is sound why do we talk about pressure you know how is like give us some give us some engineering geek background give us some more detailed pictures to how sound works or i don't know if you want to start from the macro and get to the micro because there's just these really neat stories that i know from working with you about how you measure sound and crickets chirping and frogs chirping at 3am, but give us a picture of how, how all that, how that plays out.
1: Yeah. You know, I have kind of like a framework and that framework is how are you going to change things? Uh, people generally respond to change in the environment, right? If you live next to a factory and you live there for 30 years, you're not going to have the same response to that factory's noise as if you just move, say from a quiet area and now live next to that factory. So what I try to do is like establish a, an ambient, we would call it, I'd say, like, what, what exists before our project goes in? Like, what does it sound like here? And we do that in a couple different ways. The first is really, like, data-based, like, really objective. And the second is really subjective and kind of experience-based and person-based. You know, what the first thing I want to do as, like, a data nerd is I want to just say, for all of the different places that people could hear my facility, what does it sound like there? So there I'm going to try to do, like, an exhaustive survey I'm going to measure for seven days. I'm going to measure every second. I'm going to take statistics of those things. And I'm probably going to generally throw away most of the statistics because I'm a conservative engineer. And I'm going to say, yeah, it's good that uh, Tuesday at 3 p.m. it was noisy, but it doesn't really matter for cannabis because we're going to operate our facility uh, Sunday at 2 a.m. when it's really, really quiet. So generally what I want to do is say, you know, set some goals here. And that goal setting process is is a place where our judgment really comes into it, you know, our professional engineering judgment. And, and our judgment in mass and kind of in other places is to say, let's find kind of the lowest value. Let's say that someone wanted to go outside at two o'clock in the morning um, and sit on their deck and have a conversation or something. It's, it's like their right to do that. And it's also their right to not be exposed to noise pollution. So let's be really conservative. Let's be really protective. And from that, um, now we have this big survey of the ambient and I keep talking about Sunday at 2 a.m. I kind of want to go to that community Sunday at 2 a.m. Like I, I want to say, if that was my house there, what what does it sound like at my house? Like, does it already sound like factory noise, or does it sound like like our crickets the loudest thing that I hear? Am I startled when I hear a car go by because it's so quiet that this uh, car going by is really loud in my context? Because what we really want to predict at the end of the day is not just do we comply, uh, not can we squeak by. But are we a good neighbor? And, and one of the things that a good neighbor would do is like, they wouldn't disturb the environment. You know, they would, they, would, uh, they would keep their noise generally to themselves. That doesn't mean they have no right to produce any noise, but they would be reasonable in how they would do that. They wouldn't offend the sensibilities of an average person. That is psychology. Right. So that's a cool part of my gig, right? I, I'm not just saying, how do the numbers stack up? I also want to be there at 2 a.m. and say like, what would I think about this? Me as this musician who lives in the middle of the woods, like, would I like what this facility sounds like? And if not, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be a pain to work with, Brian. Okay. <laughs> give,
0: me, give me, give me some examples. So, 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 help me to paint the picture even more clearly. Now that you've given that perspective of the fact that, and we do this together, right? We, we, see, I'm involved because I, I know what you do, but help, help, help this audience understand, like, what is sound? What, how, like, what are we talking about? Crickets chirping. Okay. What is that in terms of decibels? Maybe what is a lawnmower, right? A next step up, something we can expect, but something that has a short duration. What is that? Like the trash trucks that were driving by my house this morning. What a that's a little bit louder, right? And then what is the what is the sound generated by a 24-7 cannabis operation that's running, you know, during my Fourth of July picnic or my, you know, porch conversation at 7 PM on a Sunday? What is that? What is What is the sound of a conference? Give us us some numbers. Help us put in context.
1: I think there's like two main things that that we experience with sound. There's like its temporal aspects, like how does it change over time. Uh, So, like in your example, there's a lawnmower that maybe gets run for 20 minutes, and it happens during the day, and it's not that big of a deal, even though its level might be high. So, there's this kind of idea of um, how frequent is it? What's its duration? What's its temporal profile? There's also this idea of what's its frequency content. One of the things that we go to when we say, how are we going to predict human response is this idea of masking. And so when we say, um, how will a human like experience this, we're saying, what's the ambient and what's the new signal? But we don't just do that for one number. We do that, for example, for like 33 different numbers that go from the lowest thing you can hear to the highest thing that you can hear. And there's this interesting phenomenon, like if you put on a fan And that fan produces sound, which is similar in frequency to my speech. You're going to have a harder time hearing my speech. Now, if I just put on like a sine wave that goes really, really low pitch hum, that's not going to have the effect of um, interfering with my speech because those are in such different frequency bands. So the problem that we run into a lot of times and why we do such detailed measurements is that we might go out in August and measure at night and measure like 50 dB. In the middle of the night, you're like, what's going on here? And in the middle of the day, it's like 40 dB. You're like, oh, man, the clock on my meters is wrong. What's wrong with my data? And when you look at frequency data, what you see is that um, it did get quieter. Like um, all of the masking that would be provided by highways and kind of factory operations goes down at night and comes up during the day. But do you know what goes up at night and comes down during the day? What's that? Bugs. Right. And so if you, didn't really, if you didn't go to these communities and kind of measure and observe, you would think that bugs uh, were the background noise. You would think that bugs had the same protective masking effect as highway sound does. It's an odd thing to say, but you know, if we have a little bit more highway sound, we'll respond less strongly to mechanical sound from a facility because those are in the same frequency range. If I have bugs going and a fan going, those two things are in such different frequency ranges that they don't interact. And so, one of the things that we do when we predict community response, you know, we predict if we'll be a good neighbor, is we say, okay, not just what is the uh, the level of sound, not just and not just how does it change over time, but what's the frequency content of sound, and we get into all kinds of like uh, groovy uh, ANSI standards about if you have this species of bug in this particular region, you should subtract this number of decibels in these bands, etc. It's a kind of a well recognized technical fact that insect sound artificially pollutes our measurements. But I think we're one of the teams that's like really, I've become kind of a bug guy because I know that when I hear a factory and when I hear cicadas, those things are unrelated to my perception. The cicadas could get louder and I'm not going to be more or less angry about the factory. right? You know, so I'm trying to like kind of model what people are going to say, not just am I going to go measure numbers that I like? Because certainly if I said the ambient at night was 50 DB, even though it's actually 30 without the bugs, then my goal would be 60 dB. And I'd say, Brian, we don't have to build any walls. We don't have to do anything. And then in the winter, that would be a horror show in the community. So what I would have done is I would have set the wrong criteria at the upset. Uh, we would have uh, made the community angry about noise. And then we would have had to implement a solution after the fact. That is like the worst of all the worlds in the design process.
0: So I can see how this is you know, complete joy for a data nerd. and Right? So... But how can, I, how can I make this accessible, accessible? How can I make this information accessible to somebody who doesn't even know what DB stands for, right? What's, how, do we, how do we give this a sort of palpable like if-then scenario, right? So you've just laid out in a lot of technical jargon and a lot of technical terms how you do that. How do we simplify that to make it – so what I heard was we, we measure the sound mm-hmm. at multiple points throughout the day and at multiple frequencies, right? Right. And now what we wanna do and what we do successfully for communities is we play that back, not audibly, but visually, We, we describe it in terms. And then what do we do? We measure the fan noise and the equipment noise, and we compare those two things. And we show, is the fan and equipment noise louder than by a percentage, the ambient, right?
1: You got it exactly right. Let me see if I can say it even simpler. I'm gonna go out there at two o'clock in the morning on a Sunday and I'm gonna measure the quietest thing that someone might experience. Maybe it's you and I did a project together, Brian, where it was twenty three DBA. Like uh when the bugs turned on it was fifty, but when there were no bugs it was twenty three. Yeah. Like really, really quiet. It's um, like a
0: February night, right? It's free it's frozen yeah. out there and there's no bugs because it's February.
1: There's nothing happening. Everyone is, you know, all the children were snuggled all up in their beds and and the whole nine yards, like there's a blanket of snow on the ground. It's not going to get much quieter than this. We measured 23. So we would say, okay, we never want to be more than 10 above that. So we would say, "Uh, let's make sure that our equipment isn't more than 33. And then we're going to say, well, how are we going to do that? So we're going to ask the people that sell us this equipment, like the fan vendors and the the, uh, equipment vendors, we're going to say, how loud is your equipment? Maybe they'll stand 50 feet away from their equipment with a sound meter and say, ah, our equipment is 100 decibels at uh, 50 feet. And, and I'm going to you know, prepare a big, fancy computer model that basically says, well, if this thing's 100 decibels at 50 feet, what's it going to be at 1,000 feet? Right. And, and then we're going to say, okay, we, we know about how loud the fan's going to be in this person's backyard. We know about how loud it should be. Ideally, we're, we're less loud than it should be loud, right? Right. And, and, the, that's,
0: where, and that's where these bylaws and these, zone, and these regulations of the community play an important role.
1: That's because exactly it. They define the goals the for noise control.
0: From the noise source, which is this fan noise, and the distance to the property line. And what I've learned as a non, non-engineer is that sound decreases over distance.
1: And there's some good kind of uh, you know rules that help us predict that, especially if we were in like a, uh, a big parking lot, we have really good rules for predicting that. Basically, it says that every time you double the distance from a sound source you're going to go down by about 6 decibels. So in other words, in my example, say I measured uh, 100 decibels when I was 50 feet away. Well, Let's double the distance from 50 to 100 feet. So that's 6 decibels down. So at 50 feet, it was 100. At 100 feet, it's going to be 94 decibels, right? It's going to be reduced by 6 dB every time you double the distance. Now let's double it again. Let's go to 200 feet, another 6 dB down, 88 decibels. And so that's called the inverse square law. That's kind of like a really simple model of not only sound, but how do sound and light and all spherical, oh, I'm nerding out here. Thank you for this invitation, yep. right? How, how, how do all of these phenomena ideally expand outward into an environment? Because fundamentally, that's, that's, that's the nerd definition of sound. It's energy that expands outward into its environment via vibration, via pressure vibration in this field, usually called the atmosphere. You know, our friends that work underwater do it in the sea, but we just kind of have this energy which manifests as pressure vibration through the atmosphere.
0: No, what I find here absolutely fascinating, why I geek out on this stuff, is because in so many aspects of what I do as an architect, in so many aspects of applying science to cannabis, I find benefit. I find benefit. Right? Cannabis grew out of a passion of people who grow the plant. Right. And we're told, no, you can't grow the plant. And so what happened in the early days of, of this industry was that it was a slow, slow process for science to creep back into the production of cannabis. <clears throat> and what I why I love working with you, Andy, and, and with the Sentech, and with engineers in general is because it's the ability to bring science back into the equation and show that cannabis is a good neighbor. It's scientific. You can prove it, right? You can prove that there's no deleterious effects of this industry on the neighborhood. It's scientific. You can measure it. Decibels is pressure. You can measure it. Distance, frequency, bandwidth, all these things are are provable, right? And so many of the stigmas that are attached to cannabis are there because science didn't inhabit the same space. It wasn't allowed to right? It just, it wasn't, they, the two things didn't go together. Cannabis and science, what? No. And today it is. And that's why I'm fascinated by this.
1: I, I'm, I'm totally there with you. The other thing that, that fascinates me about the industry and, and one of the reasons that I really enjoy working in this space is that a lot of the owner operators have a, uh, have a, a sustainability focus. Yeah. And so that they, like, I, I think a lot of the work we've done with you, Brian. These are state-of-the-art mechanical systems and the goal is energy efficiency and and climate control and stability for the system and redundancy. What what we usually find is that a more energy-efficient system is a quieter system. When you hear something that's noisy and screaming and the belts are slipping and it's squealing, all of that excess sound is wasted energy, right? Sound and mechanical energy are the exact same thing. So when you hear sound, That could have been uh, the proper lubrication of a fan spinning more efficiently. And so one of the things that we love to do with engineers is learn about energy efficiency. We've often taken, you know, brute force strategies in acoustics like um, let's put up a really tall sound barrier wall, um, which maybe embodies a lot of carbon. You know, there's there's a lot of ways to look at a sound barrier wall. We've also said let's put um, sound attenuators in duct paths to reduce sound before it leaves the duct and goes out into the community. Well, that's great for noise control engineers, but I've now just taken the pressure in that system and increased it. I've made the fan work harder. So now I've made it quieter, but I've made the fan work harder so I've used more energy. Whereas a more elegantly designed system from the get-go is just going to make less noise and thereby need less of that stuff. So elegance in engineering right? and integration of engineering, oh, if I understand what you're doing and I understand what our friends at BLW are doing, we can all work together kind of with a uh, – Central goal of being a good neighbor because that's an integrated process. I can't, you know, if you give me a noisy thing to start with, I can put up walls around it and silence it and choke it off and I raise your energy happened. bill by 20%. That's not right. the way I like to work, and that's it's what th- your team doesn't do, which is what I like.
0: And that this, these two things are so so for the person, so I, I you know, I want to, I want to drive that point home for the groups. For groups that are starting out, for 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 enterprises that are coming new to the market, or even for multi-state operators who are already operating in the market, there may be fear in the industry about engaging acoustic engineers because they see that only as a cost to them. They don't see that as a... And what you've just described is the, is the opposite, is that noisy systems mean inefficient systems. So mechanical inefficiency drives... Energy inefficiency, which means that there the benefit is the is is in fact in embracing noise adjustment as a way of sa- saving energy and understanding more fully how their systems work and how they work in concert both internally in terms of lower cost lower cost of energy means higher higher production value and means more money in your pocket in your investor's pocket right. and less complaints from neighbors. So there's a there's the opposite which is true, which is don't be afraid of acoustics as an engineering field. Embrace it because it's going to help you get into a community, provide good relations with that community, and be more energy efficient in the work that you do.
1: And and you you just hit on this on this huge point, which is you know beyond energy efficiency, like community relations. Yeah. Um, I think it's so important, and this is advice that I would offer to anyone. Um, to be able to kind of speak credibly to to the fears and concerns that the community will bring at public meetings, and 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 the worst thing you could do, I think, as a as a someone a proponent of a project, is say, "We're going to be quiet enough." You know, we've done this over here in this town and over here in this town, and it was fine. I think the first thing that you want to do is recognize that that person is at that meeting because they're worried that you're going to change their environment. So you really need to be able to speak to that and say. You know, I've been in your back. I, I've been on on your street at two o'clock in the morning. I've measured for seven days. I care about your environment. I'm sensitive to your concern, um, and so like establishing that community relationship early on and in a credible way, I think, is so important. And 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 we are costly. I, I think there's a real cost to having us do the diligence that we really feel is required scientifically, and then boil all that data nerdery down to a narrative that is true. Um, but is sufficiently simple to be understandable. Because one of the things that I could do, which is really disingenuous, is give people so much information and nerd stuff that they miss the actual points of it. And so as an engineer, it's our role to distill all these things down and then explain it to the public in such a way that if they had a concern, they could understand that concern, right? I would be helping them to strengthen their concern, not being an advocate for the project. So you establish that relationship and then everything is so much easier.
0: And there's but there, and, and just to bring that previous point up so once you've established the relationship and you make it clear that both parties benefit from the same result,
1: yeah, mutual benefit,
0: and the cannabis operator benefits from being quieter because that means more energy efficient operations from a quiet operation as an energy efficient operation. That is a point that every planning board needs to hear is that this is a mutual benefit, these aren't opposing. These aren't opposing uh, forces. These are mutually beneficial forces.
1: I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly right. I, you got You got to put yourself in their ears, as you might say. Like, what, what would what would someone be afraid of? Like, what would what would you like in your backyard?
0: So, um, yeah. So, what what would you say to you know to um, somebody planning a facility from a noise perspective, what would you, what kind of advice would you have generally from a, or, or uh, I'll ask two questions. One, what advice would you have for a potential entity looking to place a facility in a location? And What advice would you have for a community who's considering opening up their zoning laws to allow cannabis to come in? So from both sides of that coin, right? From the folks who, who produce the noise to the folks who want to, Think about how that might affect
1: them. So let's talk. Um, let's talk from the regulatory perspective first, because that kind of right. like sets the stage upon which sure. the proponent is going to come in, into the scene, right? So, so there, I, I think that as a town is considering this, they're going to have to recognize that people are going to be potentially nervous about it, and and the town is going to receive ideally a lot of technical information from an expert like me if they if they do their work right. How is the town going to credibly review that? how is the town going to make sure that their noise bylaws kind of make sense and are modern and current? So kind of at the outset, I would really suggest that a town retain an acoustical consultant to just say, you know, what is the expectation that's established by your laws now? How might we change them in anticipation of cannabis coming in? And what are the concerns that have been brought up by the community that aren't addressed by our regulations? Because I'm just a, an old school believer, I guess that, um, that good fences make good neighbors, right. and by by establishing criteria that are clear, measurable, objective, current, it just helps everyone understand like what the rules are. Yep. It, it helps a proponent understand it, and it helps a community and a planning board, um, kind of understand what they're going to get out of this. There is a risk to it to any any new idea, right? You haven't done it before. You you don't know what's going to happen. By having good regulation, you can limit that risk a little bit while not missing a lot of the obvious benefits that that cannabis cultivation brings, right? There are real market benefits to this as an operation. That's why people are in that business. That's right. So let's talk about those people. Um, yeah. What What are they looking for? Clear regulation. Yes. Um, I, I think the best thing that that they can find is is a site where they know what their obligations are. You and I have worked on a couple of projects, Brian, where I could give you a zero-foot wall or a 30-foot wall, and I don't really know which one I have to give you because uh, the criteria are written in such a way that I need to go to the Smithsonian to buy an instrument so I can measure to their criteria, which were written in like 1926. Right. So so one of the main things that anyone wants, like a proponent wants, is clear regulation. Yeah. The next thing that they want is to be, you know, kind of as far away from from residential receptors and people who they might disturb, you know, hospitals, nursing homes, right. things like that. Like a, just be as far away from those people as possible. They want to think about... um kind of the five-year plan of their business. And that's where, this isn't to give like the hard sell for Anderson Porter, but I think a lot of times uh, people are tempted to get a plan from an architect and say, I need drawings. You know, that's what I, what I need is drawings for my facility. And they miss out on the real value that architecture can bring. Matt scratched that, the real utility that, that architecture can bring. It's that 30,000 foot planning and say, I can design this building for you in two days. It's a metal building, like no, no big deal. What are you going to do in here and how do I optimize this building and the systems in it, not just to support you on day one, but on day 300. Right. And You're so about
0: integration, integration yeah. of all the disciplines produces a better outcome.
1: And make that narrative, that five-year narrative, like an advance because what you may find is that, yeah, there's a short-term savings to cheaper, louder equipment that you do noise control on. But maybe if you look at that over the co- like the course of two years, all that noise control you did and your added energy cost would have justified your quieter, more energy efficient system that probably gave you better thermal kind of regulation in the first place. Like these big cooling tower systems that we're doing with you with interior chillers, they just have so much capacity and reserve. You are going to have a hundred degree night, that's 80% humidity. What are you going to do? Well, you can either keep the environmental conditions or not. And I think these systems are really robust really quiet really elegant and they meet that five-year not that one-year operational kind of design
0: so many so one of the pressures on cannabis operators is real pressure is a feeling of being squeezed right um that the market is moving quickly uh, they need to get in and begin operations in order to, to to catch up with the speed that this market is moving in and we know, because we're both, you know, in the northeast region, <clears throat> that land is increasingly hard to find. And that's going to be true in every region of the country. Land is increasingly hard to find, whether you're proposing to build new or to renovate existing, renovate existing uh, facilities. And it gets the first regulation that people cross the hurdle of is the zoning is the plain old zoning rate is this a, is this a, a allowed use in this in this district are we in a cannabis zone that our municipality is going to let us do and then we can't be outside of that zone right it's not like a farmer who could simply say okay I'm farming and it's an as of right in many communities but cannabis production because of its classification as an in as an industrial use is forced in and it's and by zoning violence, is forced into certain neighborhoods. So now you learn by default who your neighbors are, and you've got no choice, right? And so there's a fear. There's a fear in a in a squeezing that builds up in the in or being felt of being squeezed, perception of being squeezed is that uh, you're forced into these neighborhoods by the zoning by the zoning bylaws. You can't be more than 500 feet from a school. You can't be right. All these things, and you've got to fit with it. So now the noise piece comes into play, and you're like, oh crap! Yet another hurdle I've got to cross, right? Uh, but I think what I'm hearing is that there's a there's a positive side to this, right? Which is that, okay, that you you've uh, once we find a location that that's suitable, that fits, uh, there are mutual benefits to managing that noise and to managing your energy, managing the noise and managing your operation in an efficient and smooth manner.
1: Yeah, you're you're exactly right. And managing your community relations, you know, really managing kind of your neighborly profile with the people that you're gonna live and work next door to. Um, Did I ever tell you that red trains are louder than green trains?
0: No, I haven't heard that.
1: Well, it's not really true, but it's also true, and it's kind of like a really good kind of a, I think, example of perception, like a, how perception relates to noise, and why I'm such a big person of, uh, like, such an advocate for talking about establishing good community relations. Uh, In Germany and in in the EU kind of more broadly, they really look at noise as an environmental pollutant that they want to regulate. So they do a lot of study of noise and and its impact on people. And so the the Germans were putting in a new rail line and they did an extensive sound and vibration study, kind of a best in class study. You know, I'd love to work at the firms that did this kind of study. Um, Really, really nicely done work. And they made predictions that this train is so far away and is sufficiently quiet it's not going to be an issue. They did the same kind of work that you and I do together, Brian. They said, What's the ambient? How loud's the train going to be? How do those things compare? And uh and they said, you know, this is this is gonna be fine, just fine. Let's let's build this train line. And they did it, and um, and there was uproar. You know, there was like kind of like a pitchforks and torches sort of community response to this project. And people were, you know, it, it expressed really, really significant um Kind of harm, you know. They they showed real real anxiety. They they physiologically suffered from harm from the noise that that they were from the environment that they were in. And and the German government said, we got to get to the bottom of this. We can't make this mistake again, right? What are we going to do? And so they brought in um, mostly psychoacousticians, you know, people who study the interface between acoustics and psychology. How does the brain operate on acoustic data that enters the ears? And, and they were kind of puzzled. They're like, "What's we, we can't figure it out. Like, why is this happening? And then someone said, and I don't exactly know this part of the story, but someone said, what about the visual element? Um, and so what they did is they just did a really, really silly study. They went into Photoshop and they changed the color of the, the train from being red, which is the color it was painted um, in real life. And they made it green and they put people in this uh, headphone environment and they played the exact same sound of trains going by with a visual cue of a red train and a green train, and and the green train was absolutely acceptable in terms of its loudness profile, and the red train was like really too loud. It was the exact same sound, and and this is like um, established with statistical confidence. Like like this is a German psycho, like a psychology study. You know, this is a rigorously done study that establishes that people's perception of something, either their visual perception or the perception of like uh, associated with anxiety, like. I'm in a threat environment that may harm me. Those have radical significance for how you rate the loudness of, of an acoustic stimulus. Wow! So if someone feels like they're not being heard, and you're going to change their environment, and you didn't even like do your research, and who's this guy that's presenting, and they don't even know what a decibel is, that's a red train. Yep. Like we need to go into this thing with green trains all around. Wow. <laughs> so I'm going I'm to give you a train, but how the community sees it is a really, really significant part of their experience.
0: What was, the, what was the field of, uh, it was called, vis, uh, uh, psych, what, give, me the, give me the term of, the, of this uh, psycholo- uh, psychoacoustic, psychoacoustician, what, is the, what was the term?
1: Yeah, so they, they employed psycho, like uh, people doing psychoacoustics research, and psycho-acoustics. those people are studying, you know, the integration of, uh, or, or how we uh, respond to acoustic signals. But they also brought in other researchers, you know, so that's what was so neat about their study is that they had this really integrated study. If you if you just had an acoustician at the table, they would say, "Well, like, look at the numbers; it's fine. What's everyone complaining about?" Right. And then, obviously, everyone knows that green trains and red trains like the only difference is the color of the train, right? Well, that's not the experience of people. And what you're really ultimately asking me to predict is the experience of people. Right. And I know that that's such a multimodal kind of thing. So you go all the way back to music and sitting in the woods by a stream. I don't want to hear your darn HVAC. And there's like kind of good reasons that most people. Feel that way, and there's really things that you and I can do about it that are mutually beneficial.
0: Well, that just that's inspiring me to go look at, because as an architect, I think about color, I think about perception, right? Uh, I think about what generates form is from the interior, right? It's the necessity, it's the mechanical systems. How do we grow a plant indoors? And yet, what are the things that we could do? Are there things, and I'm now starting to wonder, are there things we can do to the exteriors of buildings in particular that would change them from red trains to green trains? Are there visual cues that we can give that, as, a, as, a, as a community, as, an, as, a, as, a, as a cannabis community, are there visual cues that we can transmit to the neighborhood that turn this from a red train into a green train? Um, I know the things working with you that we do physically, from an acoustics perspective, But there may be things we could do collaboratively as an architect, acoustician team that can begin to anticipate psychoacoustic responses. How do we physically reproduce that Photoshop exercise that you talked about where the building presents in a way that it is a green train and not a red train?
1: That's fascinating. We had a great example of that actually on a project we did with you guys right now. Um, we have a cooling tower, and it's got a big inlet down low, you know, from about zero to six feet up, yeah. and then it's got a big, big, slow-moving fan on the top that's designed
0: evaporative like cooling towers. It's
1: yeah, a- and the blades on that thing are specially designed to be low noise, and they kind of go through all this aerodynamics research, so they move really slow and scoop a lot of air. So that fan up top looks like a big noisy thing. I mean, look at that thing; it must be noisy. It's a red train. And But what's actually happening is that all the noise is generated below where the motor is and where the inlet is. And so we built our fancy computer models and we said, you know, Brian, I think you only need to make this wall seven feet tall, but then people are going to look and see that big red train there. Right. And so we're actually, you know, we would often recommend that you at least not be able to see the source just for that psychoacoustic component. If I can see it, it's louder. Like for example, I can take a loudspeaker and play a sound for you and then drop a, like a black cloth in front of the speaker. Um, with that has no reduction to sound and y'all tell me that that thing is quieter
0: just because you can't see the that big bass speaker drums looking at you or that big high
1: tweeter yeah yeah y- your perception of loudness is not just an auditory perception it's this multimodal perception that you integrate and you say i think that's hearing that is so many things at once that's vibration on your skin that's movement of small hairs behind your ears but you say oh, it's hearing, you know, it's something that you do every day. You've been doing it your whole life.
0: So it's when I go to a stadium rock show and they build this entire wall of speakers that's forty feet high and forty feet wide, it's the perception of sound. It's not necessarily how many decibels that thing is pushing out. It's that's gotta be loud. Right? It's that visual experience.
1: Well, you know, you started to describe a wall of speakers and you made me kind of come a little bit full circle in the cannabis space to think about the Grateful Dead and the great engineering that they did for the wall of sound. And if, and if you let an acoustician on this podcast say that the wall of sound was just for visual looks, boy, I wouldn't be doing my job. Those guys, it's like such cutting edge research on um, audio engineering and sound perception and kind of distribution of sound through a stadium. They actually kind of came up with an early microphone kind of like this just just because they all wanted to like stand in front of the speaker stacks. But like, if you do that, the microphone's feedback. So some crazy person in the grateful dead ensemble said, well, if I take another microphone right next to it and uh, flip it in reverse and add that back into the original singer microphone, all the other noise will go away. So they invented noise, cancel noise cancellation, like accidentally at a Keezy party.
0: Wow. All right. Yeah, this- drop the mic. Let's end this podcast on that note. That's unbelievable. So Full like, circle, great- right? <laughs> Full circle. Oh, awesome. Oh, this has been really cool. Um,
1: Man, it's been fun. Thank you so much for having me.
0: So, um, yeah, this is uh, Andy Cavallaria from from Ascentech, um who helps us to make facilities in cannabis a good neighbor everywhere we design them. Um, thank you, Andy wow, I learned a lot today. Um, This has been really cool. Uh, Installation number two of Cannabis is a Good Neighbor. Um, Thank you. Thanks. This is awesome.
1: Brian, Sarah, thanks for having me. It's fun to work with you guys. Have a great day.